Hey everyone, my name is Jason Parker, and I want to welcome you to the Coastal Church Podcast. I'm super excited for you to hear this message. We believe that God wants to speak to us, and we hope that you're open to hear what He has to say to you today. Enjoy. Well, good evening, everyone. Good to see you all here this evening. Hope you're all doing well. If you don't know me, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad that you all joined us here, as Alex has mentioned already. And if you were here, if you weren't here last week, we started a sermon series on money. And so we've been jumping into that. We started it last week. We kind of talked a little bit about that idea. And we're going to be spending some more time today. Um, I had someone joke with me about um, before I started the message, you know, if we're going to kind of ease up a little bit. And the answer was, nope. <laughs> we're going to kind of go a little bit deeper here tonight. Uh, looking forward to that. But let's just, I know James has prayed already, but let's just uh, bow our heads and hearts in prayer before we dive in. Father dear, thanks for today. Thanks for this opportunity to jump into um, a topic that you have a lot to say about. You have a lot of perspectives, and I just pray, Holy Spirit, you just come and teach us, lift the heaviness around money, and uh, give us your mind, give us your heart, and ultimately, Lord, we want to just serve you well. And so, Father, bless this time, bless this conversation, and let your Holy Spirit reign and move in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So over the fall, we've been talking about this idea of embracing life with Jesus. And so, so one of the sermon series was the Jesus way. And so we're, we're talking about what does it look like for us not just to be someone that professes to be a Christian, but what if being a Christian had more to do with actually how we live out our lifestyle? So how we parent, how we live in our job, how we even exercise our hobbies, what would it look like if our entire lifestyle actually reflected someone that was a follower of the Jesus way? And as we read in scripture, we understand that's the life that Jesus was trying to get his people to be convinced of actually living. It was more than just praying a prayer and accepting Jesus into someone's heart, but it was about Jesus actually revolutionizing the way in which we live. And it has a whole lot to do with how we spend our time, how we spend our talent, and in particular, what we're talking about in this sermon series is how we spend our treasure. And so, as I mentioned last week, we spend a lot of time talking about time and talent, but we don't spend a lot of time talking about treasure. And we realize as we read through the scriptures that it's the second most mentioned thing that Jesus talked about next to the kingdom of God. And it's no wonder if it's not taught on or people aren't discipled in this way, it's no wonder we as Christians struggle so much at times with understanding how to manage our money or God's perspective on finances. And so we also talked about last week how there tends to be so much tension at the intersection of money and Jesus. Like as we kind of bring up money in church or talk about money in Jesus, like last week, and probably again when I said this week, how many of you know when I say money in church, you start to feel a little tense inside your body? Right? Okay, you're all getting like a little sheepish on me here. <laughs> it's okay. We're all in this together. But there is, there's, there tends to be a little bit of tension. And matter of fact, like if you can talk about different aspects of money, there can tend to be a little bit of tension. Like, for instance, how does it make you feel when I say the phrase, spending money? What's your, <laughs> some of y'all are like, oh yeah, let's do it. <laughs> some of y'all are like, whoo, I don't know about that. Like, some people tense up, some people are really excited. Like, how many of y'all know Christmas is coming? Woo! Yeah, some of y'all. This part here is really excited about Christmas. 
<laughs> I think we got our spenders over here and our savers over here. The, the, the savers over here do not want Christmas to come. Can we roll that back three more months? Right? And some of you in the room are like, your favorite place to go when you go home and you get home from work and you sit on the couch, the very first app you open is what? Amazon. Let's go. Let's crank out that Christmas list. Let's get all the gifts bought that we can buy some extras. Now, often in relationships, often in relationships, you have someone that's the saver and then someone that's the spender. I see people looking at each other right now. I probably see some elbows. There's people that are waving and pointing like, yeah, this guy right here. Some of you are, now you don't have to raise your hand for this one, but how many of you in this room are the savers in the relationship or just in general? Maybe if you're not in a relationship, you're the saver. Some of y'all are spenders, okay? And so like, so, you know, there's those tensions that come up in relationships or just in life in general. And so, but all kind of jokes aside, like, what do we have for a filter with how we approach spending? Like, what's the filter that we have for the whole spending, saving, and all that? Like, what's okay to buy? <laughs> we're, get, we're, we're getting lots of commentary in this one. <laughs> the recording's going to be really fun on the podcast. How do I become financially sustainable? What is wise when it comes to spending? What do you do when God asks you to do something that feels unwise financially? Does spending capability change based on the life stage that I'm in? Like, what are the consequences of overspending at, when I'm 15? Or when I'm 35 and I have a wife and kids? Or versus a retired person at 65? Like, what's the filter for all that? Because all of us in this room, many of us are in different stages of life. It's, it's different for everyone. We're all in a different context, even though we're journeying together. So what's the filter for all that? And for many of us, it's like, I don't know. Like, understanding, like, what does Jesus in money, what's that intersection look like? What's a, what's a kingdom filter for how I should approach my finances. And some of us in this room, we struggle with this. And maybe you, you weren't taught on this growing up or you don't understand. Like, and this is, this is not about how I can convince you to give money to the church. This is about me as your pastor wanting to help you understand that there's a kingdom biblical approach to money. And it's actually for your benefit. It's actually to help you. I've said the words last week. It's like, I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. And so what is that kingdom approach? And frankly, there's some really practical things that you can do to help you with managing your finances. One of the things that you can do is work out a monthly budget. Tell all of your money exactly where it's supposed to go. At the beginning of every month, December the 1st, have a family monthly budget meeting where you tell all your money where to go. That's one thing you can do. And some of you are here tonight and you're looking for something really practical. Well, I'm gonna, gonna give you a few things, starting off with having a budget. The second thing is don't spend beyond your means. Live within your limits. The third one is eliminate debt in your life. And the fourth one that I would give you that's really, really helpful, I found, is uh, there's this guy named Dave Ramsey and he has these seven baby steps. Follow the seven baby steps. I think it's good financial advice. 
Now, this is something I'm really passionate about, and I'd love to preach a sermon on getting into the weeds of practically speaking, what does it look like for how God wants us to manage our resources day to day. But I think that the scripture actually points to something a little bit deeper than that, too. It does say about how we're supposed to manage and, and, and steward and all that sort of stuff. But I think the scripture actually points to something deeper. It points to our heart. And that's where I want to go tonight as it relates to money and Jesus. This intersection that we've been exploring, I want us to look at the heart of the matter. Because Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, really gets at the heart of the matter and our particular struggle with this thing called money. Are you ready for this? Three people. Awesome. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, ready or not, here we go. All right. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 10. This is what the scripture says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Can everyone say amen to that? Amen. Yeah, we ain't taking it with us. But if we had food and clothing, with these we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So I want to talk about this passage of scripture here for a little bit. And in particular, there's, there's thematically, there's some things that jump off the page as I'm reading through this particular passage of scripture. It's the words desire and craving and love. All those words, as I was reading it this week, those words jumped off the page and it really gets to the heart of the matter and the heart of our struggle. It really speaks to our heart issue with money. You know, verse 9 talks about the words temptation, um, desire, harmful desires. Verse 10 talks about that often misquoted verse. How many have heard that money is the root of all evil before? It's not. What does the scripture actually say? The love of money. The love, the desire, the passion, the craving. It's the heart thing. It's this passion for what money will give us. That is the root of all kinds of evil the scripture teaches. And you can just keep that scripture right up on the screen because uh, I might allude to it some here, there a little bit. Really, like, what this passage is getting at, and I love the word in verse 10 that, that uh, Paul uses here. It's this idea of craving. What are some things that you all in this room actually crave? Now, I know some of us in this room, when we think the word crave, we're like, man, I get a real hankering for a piece of chocolate cake. You know, you know if you really want to bless your pastor, you can give him a place of peanut butter pie. I get a hankering for that every once in a while, and it is so good. And I mean, we joke about, like, I got a real craving for this and a real craving for that. But, like, getting into that, what that word actually means. Like, craving is a strong word that talks about, like, this deep, gnawing desire. I've got to have it. That's the essence of the word crave. I've got to have it. It's like an all-consuming I want it, and I will do whatever it takes to get that thing. You, you check out with that language here tonight? Because that's what Paul was talking about here. It's, it's very similar to, to, you know, 
you know, the, the, the world of people that struggle with addictions. It's this craving of, I've got to have it. It's this constant gnawing, looking for the next hit. It's really this, this craving, this love of money, what it really is, is it's a controlling desire. It actually, the love of money has actually taken control of your mind, of your will, and of your emotions, and it becomes the thing that actually orders your life. That's what Paul was talking about. He wasn't talking about it'd be nice to have a little bit more money in your bank account. He was talking about the love of money that actually consumes your mind. You're, you're thinking about it all the time. Your will, your desires are tied into this desire and craving for more. Your mind, your will, and your emotions, the feelings that are controlled by money. That's what Paul was actually talking about. He wasn't talking about this idea, oh, it'd be nice to have a little bit more. He was talking about this becoming this all-consuming thing that actually takes control of our lives. And Paul wouldn't write about this to the rich in this particular congregation if it wasn't a reality. And I think it's easy for us to really get blind to the struggle that we have with it or just ignore that it's not there. Or be in denial that this is not a temptation or a struggle for us. Because, like, if we're honest in this room, how many of us honestly have craved money before? And I mean crave it. I think most of us would say, yeah, that's a temptation for me. That's a vulnerability for me. That is something I actually struggle with. Like, how many of us have actually been guilty from time to time of loving money? And I think if we're honest before the Lord, most of us in this room, that's a vulnerability. That's a struggle. That's something that we're easily tempted by. Paul knew that when he was writing to the folks in, in, uh, to Timothy, the people that he was pastoring. Paul knew the vulnerability that these folks would have, the rich, and how they would be tempted with this. And so Paul writes in his letter to the folks in, uh, that, that Timothy was pastoring and gives some warnings and instructions about the consequences of loving and being controlled by money. This is kind of some of the, the consequences that, that Paul talks about. He says that following the craving for money puts you into a snare. Let's bring that first verse nine back up again. Thanks, Jason. But the scripture says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then verse 10 the cravings that's, uh, it is through this craving, this love for money, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So the craving, this all-consuming, all-controlling craving, this love of money, it leads us into some really unpleasant things according to the scripture, doesn't it? Like, and I think most of us in this room would say, I don't want those things. Like, how many of us in this room honestly want ruin and destruction? <laughs> nope. What about like, how many of us in this room want to wander away from our faith? No, no one. Okay. Like, how many of us want to pierce ourselves with many pangs? Whatever that means. Okay. <laughs> no. None of us want those things. It's like, no, I don't want to be on that list or anywhere near it. So 
and, and Paul kind of gives these warnings about this great pitfall. And so how do we, like, how do we avoid these consequences? Because none of us really want that. A big part of, of understanding how to avoid this great pitfall is understanding what, what, what did Paul mean by this love of money business? One author put it this way about the love of money. There is no kind of evil to which the love of money may not lead people once it starts to control their lives. See, it's not money that leads to evil. Okay? Let me say that one more time. It's not money that leads to evil. Money in and of itself never causes problems for us. Money in and of itself is not a bad thing. Money by itself has little power over our souls. But love, love's a whole other story. Nothing has more power over us than what we love. And so money and God can coexist, but the love money and loving God, that's where we get the clashing happening. Jesus said it himself in these words. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see, Jesus is getting at what Paul is actually referring to. What Paul was getting at is people were making money their master. When you love money, when you crave and desire, and it becomes your controlling principle of your life, it leads you into all kinds of places. It leads into all kinds of evils, the scripture says. And what Jesus said is, you can't have both masters. And so that's the essence of what Paul and Jesus was getting at here. What's your master? Who's in control of your mind and will and emotions? Is it God or is it money? What's the thing that you're constantly seeking after from your heart? What is it you crave and seek and spend most of your time and energy pursuing? Do you see that? You see, that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's so much more than just, it'd be nice to have a little bit more money in my bank account. It's about this thing is actually controlling all that you are. And so the scriptures has these consequences. And we know it, and we don't, want, we don't want to experience the consequences that Paul talks about. So why is it that we still tend to lean towards loving money? I think it's, to some degree, what we believe we think money will give us. We think that money will give us maybe some different things. We believe things about money. Maybe we're here tonight, and we believe money gives us security. Like if we had $100,000 more in our bank account, we would feel more secure about our future. And money is not bad. It's not wrong. God richly provides us with everything, including money. But when we believe that our, the source of our security comes from money, we're wrong. Because there's only one person that provides us security, and that's God. The scripture says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? We don't find our security in money. 
We provide our security in our God who richly provides all things that we need for life and godliness. We, uh, this past, uh, this weekend, we had some people going door to door. And uh, when anyone's trying to sell me something, what, would, what do you do when someone comes door to door tries to sell you something? How many of us honestly are tempted to go hide? Or how many of us, or how many of us send our spouse out like I did this weekend? I was like, they're trying to sell me something. I was like, I got a budget I'm operating on here. Like Christmas is coming. You know what I'm saying? So I went and hid. And then when, they, when I heard, heard through the grapevine, it was free. I was like, oh, hi, guys. <laughs> free apples? Awesome. Anyways, come to find out this church group from the area here, from the Advent church, or Adventist church, they were giving out free apples. And I was like, awesome. And they, not only did you get one bag of free apples, they asked if we went a second. We're like, sure. Again, we're on a budget. I can feed my kids for a couple days with those bad boys. But on the, on the bag of apples was this scripture verse. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You see, I find my security in God who richly provides all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. Money is a tool, but I don't seek after money for security. I find my security in God. Amen? Money, maybe you believe the lie that money equals happiness. Money is happiness. Maybe you think about, if you had that extra 100K, you start thinking about all the things you could buy. And you think about how much happier if you'd be, if I had this, then. If I could go on that trip, then. Uh, one of the things that I, I, uh, I learned, because I love to travel, and, and my wife and I went on this awesome trip this past year. It was probably one of the best trips of our lives. But at the end of the trip, I came to this stark realization in my own journey. I'm like, you can't live like this. Like, it's so purposeless if it's just like, if you lived your whole lifestyle on vacation doing fun things, it's vain. It's like, there's a purpose behind it, and God blesses it, and I want you all to enjoy vacation and rest, and because God's given us all things for our enjoyment, but you can't live your whole lifestyle that way because it's purposeless, and you won't actually find happiness just living for pleasure. You won't. It's empty at the end of the day. You won't find happiness. If I get the raise and I get to drive that car that I really, really want to drive, and you get it, and it, at the end of all those roads, you know what it leads to? And if I have conversations with many of you here in this place that kind of pursued those kinds of things, most of you would say to me, I thought it was going to do this, but it ended up me feeling empty. It actually didn't do the thing that I thought it would end up doing because money can't bring you happiness. The scripture actually teaches us what actually brings us happiness or what actually brings true blessing. Jesus talked about in some of the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5, some of them say blessed, some of them translate into happy. This is what the scripture says. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Happy are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. True happiness doesn't come from money. It actually comes from living the Jesus way. There's, there's a contentment that Paul talks about here in this passage of scripture that striving ceases where you actually get filled by God and you say, Jesus, you're enough. You satisfy the deepest longing of my heart. I'm full. With money, it's always looking for the next thing and feeling empty and not being filled. And the reason why we keep pursuing it is because we're trying to meet a spiritual need through physical means. It'll never happen. There's only one person that can meet the spiritual needs of your soul, and his name is Jesus. And he longs to, and he promises to, but in order for us to actually be filled, we actually have to seek after God. I was reading in my devotions this morning from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and I love this passage of scripture. The Bible says that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. You see, what God is inviting us into is to stop seeking after money and instead to seek after God. Instead of craving money, what would it look like if we actually started craving God? coming after him, seeking him with, as the scripture says, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And what will happen is your needs will actually start getting met because it's not an empty promise. Christ promises to meet every single one of your needs in a way that money never can, in a way that money never will. I invite the worship team to come at this. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion together. Hopefully none of y'all sat on none of the way in. <laughs> Some of you are discovering you just sat on it right now. <laughs> I hear the murmuring. But when we celebrate communion together, Jesus with his disciples sat around a table and it was, it was a meal. And there was a sense of like sharing a meal together. And what's the really nice part? I know, some, I, know, I know the Lions Hall and a gang from there from the community care, they fed about 450 people this afternoon, turkey dinner. And I forgot about it. And now I'm hungry. But one, what's the really nice thing about after you eat a turkey dinner? Oh. And what do you usually say after you eat a turkey dinner? I'm so full. Sleepy too, yeah. I'm so full. You know where I'm going, right? Money will never, ever make you say, I'm so full, spiritually. But Jesus, oh, he provides this contentment that Paul was talking about, where you say, I got enough food. I got enough clothes. I've got everything that I need from God. Jesus, you're enough.
Paul said, I've learned the secret of all things. And Paul had a time when he had lots of riches, and he had time when he was in jail and he had nothing. He had everything in between. And Paul said, I've learned the secret of all things, to be content in every circumstance. And he went on to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's really hard to be content. But it's a whole lot easier when Christ, the living God, has actually met the deepest needs of your heart. And that's not an empty promise. And so you might be asking, well, how do I get that? You got to seek after him. He rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. So my question to you tonight is this. What is it you seek? What is it your heart is craving tonight? Are you craving more of God? Because the good news is as you seek him, you will find him. As you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled. And you'll find the true blessing, the true contentment that only comes from God. One of the ways that God meets us and gives us that sense of contentment is when we take time to remember what he's done for us. Jesus sat down with his disciples and sat at a table a few days before his death and talked about his body that was going to be broken and his blood that was going to be shed. Some of his disciples in John chapter 6, he said, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you can have no part with me. Many of them just left at that point in time. But Jesus was trying to teach them a reality. That the broken body of Jesus in his shed blood actually sustains us. It actually fills us. It actually feeds our very soul, which is why Jesus chose as a metaphor the bread and the juice. James was joking earlier that if you didn't have supper, this wafer is not going to do it, okay? <laughs> Ain't happening. But we practice remembrance to spiritually bring us to a place we actually feed on Christ in our hearts. That this deep gnawing you have in your soul for more can only be met by God. And so we're going to take some time to remember here tonight. We're also going to take some time to examine. And maybe you're here tonight and you struggle with the temptation of the love of money, like I do. And maybe you need to just examine your heart and say, Lord, for whatever other desires I've sought after and built my whole lifestyle on, God, would you forgive me? And would you help me to pursue you first and foremost? Maybe you need to take some time in a moment here while we pray to just confess that to the Lord. And I believe that this is more than just a memorial. This is a way in which God meets us in moments. And so we want to invite the Holy Spirit to minister his grace to us. And finally, it's an opportunity for us to participate together. And if you're here today and you've yet to accept Jesus into your heart, don't feel like you need to participate with us. But if you're walking in fellowship with Jesus, you're walking with him, we want to invite you to the table of the Lord. I just want to read the scripture. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Before we partake, I want us to take some time to just be quiet before the Lord. And the Lord, if there's anything in your life you feel like you've missed the mark, you've fallen short, any area of your life where you feel like you need to ask God for forgiveness for, let's just take some time and get before the Lord and allow him to search us. Let's pray together. We really hope that this message has motivated you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and has inspired you to join us in our mission to take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to know how you can get involved, send us an email at office at coastalchurchns.com. We'd love to get connected with you. Have a great day.